Welcome to Test Rack Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be your host today. Test Rack's mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and accelerate change across the Air Force logistics enterprise. Specifically, our team works as an innovation accelerator assigned to the Air Staff Logistics Directorate, where we partner with airmen to operationalize the new sustainment strategy. In this episode, we talked with Major General Linda Hurry. She is the Director of Logistics for the United States Air Force. We talked about human capital strategy, the theory of constraints. We talked about innovation and strategic competition. We covered a lot of topics. All right, here we go. I, uh, first of all, I want to say I really appreciate it, ma'am, uh, for taking the time. I know this is like a really unconventional time to like spend a meeting right on, on a podcast. No, that's awesome. And this is not part of the everyday of a general officer. But what is the everyday like for a general officer? Um, I, I, I would say controlled chaos is probably the best uh, way to describe it. Um, you know, there's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of uh, staff work to make sure you're given the best uh, military advice to the senior leaders. But at the same time, you know that everything that you're doing is about taking care of the airmen in your portfolio, and we got a pretty good-sized portfolio. So from that perspective, it's very, very rewarding. So your portfolio is all of logistics. Like, you are the logistician in the Air Force, uh, which is pretty cool, right? You know, representing 180,000 airmen. You want to talk a little bit about your job specifically? Is like what the director of logistics for the Air Force is exactly responsible for? Yeah, so really, probably the most important job is taking care of those 180,000 airmen and total force airmen. So all, you know, guard, reserve, active duty, our civilian teammates, um, making sure that we purposely develop them is probably, or what I see as my most important job, the same time giving them the tools and the processes and the policies to, to make sure that they can be effective at their job. My biggest focus in that lens is trying to make better use of their time. You know, I know we're in a resource-constrained environment. I know that we're um, struggling with aging platforms. I know we're struggling with supply chain challenges. So how can we make best use of the assets that we do have so we can generate readiness for our nation? Mm -hmm. Thinking through, like, the future state of the Air Force, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the Air Force of 2030. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Even looking back at right now the conflict in Ukraine, like logistics is now top of mind for senior leaders, right? Those constraints, you know, no pun intended, right? Because we're going to talk about the theory of constraints. Uh, But we are now looking at those constraints as a force and opening up. And you talked about opening up time as well, which is another thing that the theory of constraints or a benefit of the theory of constraints brings to the table, right? Opening up time, you know, for airmen. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting to that later in the conversation here but as you as you look at right now the entirety of of logistics and you look at your job and you look at where you see the gaps and where we can improve like that didn't just come overnight what was lieutenant hurry like and what were those early lessons to build like your perspective like um talk us through that so uh I, I would like to say that Lieutenant Hurry is probably no different than I am now in terms of my focus and my passion for people. Um, I think that's something that's been inculcated in me, in me from the get-go. You know, I've naturally, I've played, you know, a ton of sports growing up. 
So I naturally think in terms of teams. And so when I graduated from the academy and started off in the transportation side of the house, you know, I walked in and had 127 folks. I, I will never forget that. I knew absolutely nothing about uh, vehicle maintenance, but that was the team that I was uh, able to work with. And so honestly, I just went out on the floor and got to know the team and got to know what made them tick. And I played volleyball with them at lunch. And and I learned so much more about what was really going on in the organization just through the informal interaction and then just asking questions and going under the hood and putting the coveralls on and, and just asking them, you know, what it was they were doing. Because Lord knows I didn't know what they were doing. But, but I learned so much about how to take care of the folks, what was important to them, and what I could do to contribute to make the mission better. And I, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, I, I actually went to the academy and, and ended up with a, a law degree, and I was going to go to law school. And the Air Force decided I was going to stay in logistics, but I loved it because there were airmen everywhere there. And it, it wasn't so much the, the technical part of the mission. It was the fact that there were so many folks that I could influence and I could be a part of high-performing teams that it was fun. And that's where my passion lies. And so I guess the lieutenant is really not that different than the person I am now. Um, you know, I just try to stay grounded. You know, I'm fortunate that the Air Force has allowed me to serve for this long, but I still think I'm the same person I was, you know, 30 some odd years ago. Mm -hmm. Looking at, I know in the past we've talked about like human capital strategy. I think that uh, is empowering to hear for younger leaders, knowing that, hey, it, it is okay. Like the mission's also important, but if you focus on the people first, like the mission's going to happen. Like they're going to, if you can empower your people uh, and you can take care of your people, the residual effect to that is they're going to want to focus on the mission because they want you to be successful as well, like as a leader. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess from a human capital strategy, yes, we're, we're focused on purposeful development of our entire team. And, and I quite frankly, it doesn't matter to me whether you're in aircraft maintenance, if you're in munitions or any part of the logistics readiness portfolio. If we can purposely develop our airmen and then um, get them to truly believe that we care and build that trust that we are there to help make our Air Force better, take care of them as part of a logistics family, you know, that's really where our focus has been. Trying to create a, a caring culture, trying to cre create a, uh, uh, a coaching culture and then an innovative culture is kind of the three prongs that I've, go I've gone after. Because if our airmen know that we truly care about them as individuals and we purposely develop them, we give them the tools, the things they need to be successful, they're going to want to stay part of our Air Force. And we need depth. We need depth on our flight line. We need folks who are going to want to stay and lead our Air Force to the future. We also want our youngsters to to know that our senior leaders believe in their ideas because that's how we're going to change our Air Force. It's not going to be bright ideas coming out of me. It's going to be our young teammates that that know and that think differently than we, ha than we do and have a digital mindset and that we can actually transform our Air Force so that we can be more successful in the future. So knowing that we care, you know, balancing the needs of our airmen versus the needs of our Air Force. There's a way to meet in the middle. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to non-vol folks and we're, we're not going to, we're surely going to have to deploy folks. 
But there's a time and the place. And if we understand what are the needs and we ask and we show we truly care and we do make changes when it's appropriate, folks are going to believe in the Air Force and they're going to believe that their senior leaders care. The coaching piece is, you know, because we've got a younger and younger workforce, I want to make sure the entire team knows that we're going to give them the tools to be successful as leaders. And so, you know, having a, 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 an external coach, somebody that's not in the chain of command, somebody that's, you know, the two heads are better than one principle, just so that we can create an environment where our airmen feel empowered and encouraged and listened to. That's a lot of that's done through coaching. And, and I think, I know it's extremely valuable, at least from my perspective, I have it. I have a coach and we have a great relationship and I can bounce ideas off of her and she can tell me whether, you know, hey, perhaps she can take, take it through this lens or another lens and it's extremely valuable. The third area I try to focus on really is on innovation, which obviously with Tesseract and everything else, everybody knows I believe in innovation. I am, I'm not okay with the status quo. I have no problem breaking the status quo. I have no problem pushing the envelope. And if that means we're going to fail, okay, great. Learn from that too. Fail fast, learn, and then move ahead. And I think if we can convince and our airmen can actually trust us that we believe in them and that we care, that we will be there to coach them and that we are there to no kidding innovate and make changes, I think folks are going to want to stay part of our team. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my approach. Yeah, I agree with well, obviously everything that you just said. <laughs> but what resonated with me the most was that coaching, right? Yep. Before Tesseract and even before the Air Force, uh, when I was a manager, I'd be uh, my mentor taught me the importance of coaching, right? And like walking through, like not just telling people what to do, right? But like coaching them to a solution and helping them grow like that the coaching from without helps that coaching from within yep. if that makes sense right like uh, well, uh you want to you want to get folks to to help help them learn how to think learn help them connect the dots let them know where the additional resources are so that collectively they can build their own teams mm -hmm. and sometimes folks just need a little bit of a push or that they know that their senior folks believe in them and that we're gonna give them the tools and the resources so that they can be successful. And, and I will tell you when, you, when you create an environment like that, you just watch, look in the eyes of your airmen when that happens because they just walk a, a little bit taller and then they feel ownership and they feel empowered to make change and then they wanna stay. And when one airman has an idea and their leaders believe in them and encourage them and and help facilitate what it is they're trying to accomplish. The next two sitting next to them also have ideas and they want to get a part of it. And you, it's, it's like success breeds success. And you elevate the entire game. And when you've got an entire organization that is fully engaged and empowered, you can just walk into that organization and you can literally feel the difference. It is a healthy organization, yet not everything goes perfect, that's right, but when, when there is a curveball that lands in your lap, that entire team rallies around whatever the challenge is, they work together, they don't care who gets the credit, and the Air Force is better. So our readiness increase, everything that we are trying to do as an Air Force improves when you empower the team. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the tools 
that we have as a force. We've even seen some of those come to like actual tangible tools come to fruition, like foundations, right? Like we've seen uh, the first survey go to the staff, right? To the entire air staff, uh, a micro survey, right? Not waiting on the DOCs, challenging the status quo, being transparent about our answers and talking through what potential solutions can be, right? And we've also seen about, you know, a few dozen uh, units as well use foundations. And I know we've talked about this in, in the past, but uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's great that, you know, we are putting our money where our mouth is and helping facilitate that change and giving leaders tools to ask the right questions, right? And giving leaders tools to, to challenge the status quo and to figure out really what the, you know, what the problems are uh, or what the solutions can be and um and, and working together and, and moving forward um so i'm i'm very glad to see progress in, in that area yeah uh, i i agree and so it's not only tools for the leaders it's tools for the airmen mm -hmm. they have a voice literally they're on their phone and they know it's a safe space they can they can type their answers it goes directly to the leaders you don't have to worry about what you're what's being said getting filtered out you know, from layer to layer to layer, you have a voice and you're going to have the ability to drive change. Now, the folks who are reading the surveys or reading the results have to internalize what's actually being said. They have to actually listen. Uh, but the voice is huge in building trust with our airmen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And let's uh, dive a little bit deeper into innovation. And, and let's talk a little bit about the, the theory of constraints um, and what successes we've seen uh, so far to date. We've been down this TOC journey for a couple of years now, right? I mean, it's, uh, and we've talked about also in the past, like change doesn't happen overnight. Usually culture change happens within a period of like, you know, if academically speaking, like seven to 10 years, right? right? So we're still towards the beginning of this journey. Um, but uh, how do you feel about the um the footing that we have in this culture change with theory of constraints and are there any wins that you'd just like to highlight for the enterprise yeah so i i think we've had a lot of wins in terms of theory of constraints and you're right we've been at this journey from an from an air force field level perspective for about two two and a half years we started off with fairchild and ellsworth and shaw and we got a lot of quick wins there and that's great um and since then, we've expanded it to about 24 different locations. And in each location, there have been wins in their own right. But the foundation is there. I think we need to work some more on education. I think we need to work some more on the sustainment of it. But where I'm at right now is I think we need to go bigger. And so it's wonderful that we're going base by base. But I feel like we're playing whack-a-mole. We need to get a bigger, broader effort. And that is something that we've uh, worked together with the A3 community. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have in the Air Force, because we've got aging platforms and we're trying to bring in additional pilots, is how do we absorb the pilots in an efficient manner? How do we create um, capability out of that process? How do we do that and execute our flying hour program so that we not only um, absorb the pilots, but we get them the training that they absolutely need? And how do we do that without beating the heck out of our fleet and sacrificing the collective health of the fleet. And so I think what we need next is to move to a broader uh, effort from theory constraints and try to balance and optimize the scheduling of ops and maintenance together side by side, because I think really that's where um, the 
big picture wins are going to come. And if we go at it from a holistic platform level or a MAGCOM or even the CAF level, I think that's really where the big wins are. Uh, holistically, the program is solid. I mean, if you think about everything we do in logistics, everything is process-based. If you look at any process, there's always a constraint. If we can mitigate the constraint and, and overcome that constraint, the throughput, it just, it, it increases. I mean, that's the whole fundamentals behind theory of constraints. It is a journey. We're on year two. If you look at what, what we started with the depot probably 10 years ago, same concept. It's, it's theory of constraints. They dubbed it Art of the Possible, and I was able to watch what happened in the three depots to one, standardize processes, but increase the throughput so that we can turn those jets much faster. If it worked in the depot, there's no reason we cannot do the exact same thing in every one of our logistics organizations, or any other organization for that matter. Um, there is tremendous potential there, and all we're trying to do is create additional capability and capacity out of the resources that we have at our fingertips. Not only do we get increased readiness, but our airmen truly understand that we are trying to make change for the greater good of the whole, and they get to be part of that change. Mm -hmm. We're not there yet. We are in year two. You're right. It's probably going to take another three, four, five years. But I think we need to go big. We need to have a full sustainment plan. We've got to get the education inculcated, not only in just the logistics education programs, but what about Airman Leadership School? What about FTAC? Let's start with these fund fundamentals at the beginning. And so all of our teammates that come into our service understand what it is we're trying to do. There's huge potential here. We just got to keep getting after it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny how you mentioned uh, adding it to curriculum and like Airman Leadership School because when I was sitting in class, I was like, yeah, this would fit. Yeah, in this module, yeah, it'll, it'll fit in here because uh, right. I think it's something that any everyone and anyone can benefit from. Right. Uh, and to talk about application to the depot, uh, I mean, talk. Let's talk about application. Just really anywhere. It's been a I mean, medical industry, Correct. you name it. But uh, for anyone that's followed the uh, evolution of uh, TOC at the field level uh, here in the Air Force, everyone's heard about how Delta Airlines has applied it. I think it's funny. Anytime you go traveling at the airport and you say like, "Hey, why does?" why does Delta do bags here and then customer service there? Why don't they just do it all in the same spot? Well, they're applying theory of constraints. Like, you know, on all the concourses, they're applying theory of constraints. You know, Correct. at everything that they do, because uh, it, it's a strategic level mindset, uh, it is a shift. It's a paradigm shift in how they even just approach any singular problem, yep. which I think is really cool. And uh, at some point, I think we'll get there, right? Because we're those building blocks, that foundation, uh, you know, is being laid, yep. uh, you know, today. Uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah, so they're further along on the journey than we are, but I think it's important that, you know, the DOD learn from commercial industry as well. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they have lessons learned. Yes, there are different airframes that we fly in some cases. You know, there is no reason why we cannot learn from the Deltas, from the GTRIs, from the Boeings, from the Lockheed Martins of the world, and understand the processes and the improvements they've made and take that those lessons and apply them here within the DOD. I mean, that's the whole reason why we've got the education with industry program. That's uh, that's part of the reason why we've got the SecDef fellowship uh, at the 06, the 05 and 06 level is to learn those those best practices and bring them in and figure out what we can do to better our Air Force. 
honestly, that's that's part of the reason why I I really started pushing hard on on innovation and changing the mindset. You know, I had the opportunity to work with Caterpillar about 10, 11, 12 years ago when when I was doing the SecDef fellowship and I got to be assigned to Cat Logistics for a year. And just understanding how they applied these these processes in their logistics systems is a direct translation to what we're doing in the Air Force. At the same time, one of the other companies that we had the opportunity to visit was Apple Computer. And so in my mind, I have always kind of pushed the envelope and I've always been the one that's gonna think outside the box and think differently. And the thing that kind of hit me was when we were at Apple um, with one of my brothers who was in the program with me, they actually shared a quote and I'll share it with you guys because it's something that, yes, I've highlighted before, but it really probably encompasses the best approach that I've been trying to get after and trying to drive this entire logistics enterprise to go ahead, it's okay to think differently. And so I'll, I'll tell you, this is from Apple, so I'm gonna quote it for them, um, but it's called Think Differently. And it says, here's to the crazy ones, the, mitf the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who, who see things differently. They're not fond of the rules. They have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to, to think they can change the, the world are the ones who actually do. And so if you look at everything that we're trying to do in the logistics enterprise, we're trying to change the enterprise. We're trying to turn logistics into a strategic deterrent. And so you brought up earlier about what's going on in the Ukraine. And yes, a failure in logistics is what has hampered certain aspects. If you look at the China scenario, we have got to, to master our logistics capabilities and competencies and understand how can we better set the theater? How do we capitalize on the strengths that we do have? And, and how do we push the status quo? And how do, we, how do we break that? How can we do things differently? so that we can meet a near peer adversary. I think we've got tremendous potential if we unlock the, the mindset and the thought processes and the ability of our airmen to think. There's not a doubt in my mind. We just have to have the courage and the guts to actually do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not to go down too far down the rabbit hole of uh, uh, strategic competition, because I can talk about that for all day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think those points that you just hit, we need to empower our airmen to be able to make decisions independently, right? You're talking overall the mission command concept of being able to make decentralized decisions um, because when we go into a future fight of some sort, what are probably the first two things that our adversaries are going to target? Command and control and logistics, right? Because logistics has been the backbone of what has made the United States military what it is today whether it's the east or the west right you know if we go either direction uh logistics is going to be paramount right um but when we have our you know we're talking about agile combat employment and we have uh we have a, a maintainer you know, or, or a group of maintainers and logisticians on the ground uh and and they are cut off from their command and control but they need to make decisions like they need to be empowered to make those decisions they need to be in a culture that uh um that builds on trust 
and communication and psychological safety because uh, that's what the future fight depends on, right? Those are some of the things that flow through my head as you know, I think about strate- strategic competition when it comes to logistics. Like we offer so much to the military, yet we're always that afterthought, right? Uh, and I feel like I think I feel like at least the war in Ukraine has uh, elevated us in the conversation as uh, as a war fighting function. Yeah. So I I wouldn't say afterthought. I think the realization is there that there is literally nothing our Air Force does without a logistician in that process in some form or fashion. If you think about the various capabilities, whether it's with munitions or maintenance, you can't generate any aircraft. You can't generate any mission without those capabilities. The From a logistics readiness standpoint, you're not going to deploy anywhere. You need parts. You need fuel. You need all of that. And so what I would emphasize to the logisticians out there is the absolute criticality of our mission and that the Air Force can't do anything without us. So take great pride in that. At the same time, let's also elevate our game so that you know, we can maximize the amount of readiness that we can generate. We can generate the air power that our Air Force needs. And I mean, if you look at what we've been able to accomplish just in the last couple of years, the entire movement of uh, people out of the Afghanistan area of responsibility, that was a tremendous um, logistics movement. And it just demonstrates the prowess of our collective team and how the ops community and the logistics community can work together um, to deliver real effects. I mean, if the world did not take notice of that capability and our demonstrated power there, um, you know, that's their loss. But that was a tremendous um, recognition of the power of our logisticians, and they did an absolutely phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. And I think it also is a great reflection of decentralized decision making as well right you know because they they were making choices that they had to make on the fly like they, they had no choice but to pull the trigger on a decision i would like to talk a little bit about the other side of uh innovation right of like not just the process but also the uh the technology and talk about some of our recent wins with athena and chronos so i think that's a huge win i mean this is a capability you know when i talked earlier about you know, trying to get ops and maintenance work together so that we can put an optimization tool so that we can balance the needs of both sides and maintain the health of the fleet. I truly believe that this capability is going to help deliver that. And this was a long, long road. I mean, we had gotten to a whole lot of no's and we had to work through that process. And the persistence, um, the data-driven arguments helped show the capability and the need for this type of a program. And and what I thought was so powerful is that we used our resources throughout the DOD to to capitalize and to bring this these programs to bear. And so we learned a lot with the F-22s. We learned a lot with what we tried to do with the F-35s. Um, but how do you learn from all of those, put them together, so that our airmen truly believe that this capability is going to come to their fruition. I believe right now we've got about over 10,000 users and a personal scheduling tool as opposed to ridiculous spreadsheet management, um, a tool that we can figure out what is when it's best to schedule an aircraft versus um, put it in maintenance. I mean, there's a balancing act there. And I think this is a huge win. You know, we had met 
significant challenges and speed bumps along the way that we've been able to work through, through the connective tissues and building these networks. And I will tell you, that's probably a key to any innovation. You know, there is going to be a speed bump everywhere, but look at it as a speed bump. Slow down, get your data, get your facts, connect your network, figure out who has the resources, and, and build your business case based on data, not emotion, and we will get over the end line. And that's exactly what the team has done. They didn't give up. When we got to the first no, we figured out the best way to address it. And everybody is seeing the true benefit of this capability. And I'm so proud that the, the Log IT portfolio has brought that into uh, as a program of record. And we're going to push this over the end line. Huge, huge win for our airmen and great um, dedication by the team to to continue to push that forward. That also an- uh, answers my next question a little okay. bit, right? Okay. Uh, talking about General Brown's five stages of no uh, and how to overcome that friction, those challenges, and to bring change to life, right? Um, what direction would you give like, what would you tell a commander or even a frontline supervisor, just like like a, sta- a staff sergeant or or even a brand new lieutenant? How do you go about like communicating change? Like you talked about, um, you know, we talked about having da- data, right? We talked about um, talking through da- data informed decisions and not necess- not emotion, right? Um, what else, what else would you add on to that message of how they should be communicating, uh, up the chain of command? Like, let's say like a staff sergeant goes to their, uh, you know, goes to their captain and their cop- captain says, no, like what next? What if the captain goes to the squadron commander and sa- and the squadron commander says, no, what next? Yeah. I, I would say don't give up. Uh, I would lay out the argument. I mean, if there was a final decision and the leader says, no, we're not going to do this. Okay. I got it. But that doesn't mean you don't energize the collective network. So um, if you're a leader out there, I would ask you to listen. Listen to your airmen. Create uh, an environment where you can build a a culture of trust so that they are willing to come to you and and lay out their argument and, and, and lay out what is possible. And if something doesn't work, okay, fine. Learn from that too and then figure out what does work but then help them connect with the resources. If you come up with a leader that, that just flat out says no, then I, I would ask you to um, go, go across the board at that particular point in time, because every single base has logisticians. Maybe an idea will, will take root there. More importantly, reach out to the Tesseract team. The whole reason we put this Tesseract team together is to capture the great ideas of our airmen so that we can match it to gaps in our capability and we can just solve problems one at a time. We're not gonna be able to solve all of them. We are, we too are capacity constrained, um, but at the same time, don't take no for an answer. Figure out how we can get to yes in a respectful manner. I mean, obviously there's a chain of command, so there's, I'm not saying break rules, I'm not saying go against your leaders, but at the same time, if it is a smart idea, Share with those who can actually help push it over the end line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also just want to dive a little deeper into reaching out to the team, right? Because it's not like you're. There might be a misconception that hey, we're just skipping all the way up to the chain of command to to headquarters Air Force, right? I have peers 
right, that are, you know, in the operational Air Force, like, I'm a staff sergeant, right? It, a, a staff can reach out to a staff. A captain can reach out to a captain. That, that's what, that's exactly why we created Tesseract in, in the manner that we did, because we want to make sure whoever's on this team represents our airmen. You know, I know an airman at BaseX is not going to put me on speed dial. They're, that's just not going to happen. But they are going to talk to you, and a lieutenant is going to talk to a lieutenant or a captain. And if we can build the trust on our Tesseract team and we can get that information, and it is, in fact, data-driven, then we can help drive change. Part of the reason we put it on the half staff is because I own policy. I own the processes. If we can help get it there, we also have great connective tissue with the folks that own resources. We can help get it up through the corporate chain when and where there is a data and proven capability that needs to be scaled. We have got to help folks get through that valley of death. And that's exactly what this team is doing. And in fact, just this morning, I was on the meeting with the vice chief where we report out what we're doing in the innovation space. And there are wins, and we talk to the entire staff uh, on how to get there. The, the response from the A8 community, where can we help? When we've got the A8 community leaning forward, asking where they can help us, and they own the purse strings, we have a win. Mm -hmm. So let us help in that space. That's the whole reason why the team's there. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. 10 years from now, where would you like to see Air Force Logistics at? So I would like to see um, theory constraints fully inculcated across the entire uh, enterprise, whether it's in the depot, whether it's in the field. It doesn't matter which part of the AFSC um, you happen to be a part of within this family. I would like to see the partnership between the A3 and the A4 community in this space um, solidified and that there is a culture change in that space. I'd like to see logistics, no kidding, turned into strategic um, deterrent. I would like to see our theater set. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've got a lot of initiatives on operationalizing WRN, WRM, um, expanding the RNI capability, um, trying to get uh, a, a centralized office for aviation support equipment. I would like to see all of that firmly established because those are gaps that we have across our enterprise that we are trying to get after and mitigate. And so 10 years from now, I would like to see all that laying flat and the system working in a more effective and efficient manner, ultimately, so that we can be the deterrent that I absolutely know that we can be. Mm -hmm. And maybe another curveball because I didn't have this one written down. Uh, you have another about a year in the seat here at A4L. If What's the number one thing that you want to accomplish in the next year? Uh, right now, the number one thing is the partnership with A3 and A4. Mm -hmm. um, we have, the Air Force has a challenge with uh, pilot absorption, uh, flying hour program, uh, maintenance optimization, and I would like to get that laid flat as much as we can um, over the next year. I think we've got tremendous potential. The second thing is I want to inculcate um, this the the thought of a not the thought but basically a caring a culture a coaching culture and an innovative culture so that I turn into a pumpkin into a year it stays lastly I want to make sure Tesseract is formally established I know we're we've 
We're great. We've got the pad. We've got everything palmed for. I want everybody to know that it is there and is going to stay. And I want to make sure Theory Constraints has got a sustainment program Mm -hmm. so that, you know, we all turn into pumpkins. It doesn't become the next three letter thing that goes by the wayside. This needs to be inculcated into our very being as the way we go about our processes. Like I said, everything we do in logistics is process-based. We, we have got to focus in this, in this space. Lastly, just take care of our airmen. That's the most important thing we can ever do is take care of our team. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And I have one last curveball. Okay. Who's winning the World Series this year? Uh, well, I wish it was the Cubs. Um, so, yeah, everybody always jokes at me about being a Cubs fan. And I know they're um, kind of holding up the league right now. So they're not exactly doing well. But I would love for the Cubs to win. But I, I don't know who's actually going to win. But I've been a diehard Cubs fan my entire life. And I can always continue to hope. You know, it's the one thing the Cubs have that no one else has is Wrigley Field. There's nothing like, well, maybe Fenway. I think Fenway is, is right up there. Um, but going to a game at Wrigley Field is just something else. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's funny. I grew up in northern Illinois, and I, I we didn't get up there very often, but I absolutely loved watching them. I remember being a teenager laying on my family room floor watching WGN, watching the Cubs, and <laughs> I just absolutely loved it. And I don't know. Where in northern Illinois? It's a, a town called Big Rock. It's... Uh, about a thousand people and three thousand cows, about an hour and a half south of Chicago. Okay. Really itty bitty small town, like no stoplights. And uh, <laughs> I think we've grown in population by about a hundred in the last thirty years. So big metropolis <laughs> that it is. Lots of cornfields and bean fields. Yeah, I think people when they think of Illinois, like they think they just think of Chicago. Right. Yeah, and not the, so much. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly just corn right corn corn and soybean <laughs> fields yeah in fact you know it's funny when i was growing up everybody always talks about what their uh, their summer jobs are my summer job was walking beans so i walked through the bean fields with a hoe knocking out the corn from you know the previous year's crops and and all the uh the weeds that happen to grow but yes that was my summer job <laughs> and then uh yeah and then to the air force right so that's a it's quite a transition it, it was, yes, it was a night and day transition. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I'm thrilled. You know, I, I love being part of this Air Force family. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being a logistician, not because of the logistics part, but really because of the airmen. You know, I just absolutely, I, I love from that perspective what it is we do because there's nothing more important than, than caring for our family. Mm-hmm. You ready for the rapid fire question? Sure, rapid fire. <laughs> go, go for it. If I was a Disney character... I would be blank. Okay, if I was a Disney character, I'd probably be Mickey Mouse. I Why? Just, because he, he's always so happy, and he's always trying to just take care of the team, and, and I think that's really who I am. Uh, the Cubs this season will blank. Um, I hope they beat the Cardinals. <laughs> Let's just go put that. So that's a standing joke. we got a bunch of folks here that uh, um, always give me crap about the Cubs versus the Cardinals, so I want them to beat the Cardinals. Actually, I would like to get them out of the basement right now. I think they're like 14 games back or something like that. So upward mobility would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's funny. Um, so the book I recommend to most people is blank. The Goal from Goldratt. Um, I, I truly believe in 
this process improvement um, principle. I think it's a tool that literally everyone can use. I'm on vacation with my family. I'm going to blank. Um, any place outdoors. Um, I love the beach. I absolutely love the water, love snorkeling, love the mountains. So I like Hawaii. I like Alaska. I like Europe. I, we love traveling. Um, I just like doing it with my three musketeers. We actually still have fun. My kids, two of them actually just graduated from college and they still want to stay, which is cool. So we're going to, we're going to travel and we're going to probably go to Hawaii again. I don't know. <laughs> At some point we'd like to go to Australia, but right now it's cold there. So we'll hold tight. Speaking of Australia. Yes. We got a cool relationship with the Australians. We do. We have an incredible relationship with the Australians. You, you want know? to talk about your trip a little bit? Uh, so, so sure. Um, so yeah, about a, about a month and a half ago, I had the opportunity to go over for the um, Air Senior National Representative. And I, I was there from a logistics capacity, just trying to build um, partnerships. You know, Australia has the same challenges that we have. And if we can have some of our um, best ideas and share it with them, if we can work through interoperability challenges, if we can capitalize on their industrial base, you know, can we can we um, service and fix each other's aircraft? The answer is yes. There's no reason why we can't do that. We have C-17s. We both have C-130s. We both have F-35s. There is no reason why when an aircraft lands at one of our locations that we can't help each other and fix it. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, if one of our C-17s break in Australia, of course our maintainers want to go over there to help fix it. Mm -hmm. But that's probably not in the best fiscal um, solution. We probably just should let the Australian teams help yeah. fix it out for us. <laughs> um, that said, um, it was absolutely amazing. We've got a great partnership. And there's a lot of interoperability when we're talking, you know, supply chain resilience, uh, CBM Plus with condition-based maintenance, what we're trying to do for cross-servicing of aircraft. Um, tremendous partnership. Trying to actually build the same thing with the uh, our UK teammates and actually our entire Five Eyes partners. You know, it's it's a tremendous opportunity. We all have the same challenges. We should work together. That's no different than the same thing we're trying to do with our other services. You know, logistics is joint. There's just no two ways about it. And so the more that we can work with the Navy and the Marine Corps and the Army, the better off we all are. Mm -hmm. And last question here. My sure. superpower is blank. Uh, probably ability to connect with people. Um, you know, we all put our pants on in the same way. We all live life. We all have curveballs that live that happen to us. You know, just getting to know folks on a personal level is, is probably my strongest suit. Folks tend to talk to me, um, and I tend to listen a lot. And I, I just think it works well. That's who I am. And that's what's really important to me, just to be able to build strong um, relationships and, you know, just lead humbly. Ma'am, thank you so much for coming on Tesseract Podcast. Sure. Thank you for your support. Thank you again for listening to Tesseract Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn.
Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseract.af.mil.